today's scripture is Matthew 6:25 through 7:12. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your, their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to have you. My name is Johnny Morrison. I'm one of the pastors here, if we haven't met. The text today that's going to occupy our primary attention is still about the way of love, but it is about the way of love and how that way of love shapes how we love one another. It's the real nitty-gritty of the way of Jesus, the real like rubber meets the road of being a follower of Jesus. Like, what does it actually look like for us to do community together? What does it actually mean for us to try to love one another, to get near one another, for my sin to bump up against your sin, for my performance of religion? What does it look like for my performance of religion? Sometimes it is performance to match up against your own needs and fears and concerns. And if you've done church for a while, if you've tried to live Christian community, well, you know how tricky this is, how difficult it is to try to love one another, how vulnerable it feels to love one another. There's few spaces that are as triggering, that can tap on our insecurities, that can tap on our wounds or our fears in the same way that trying to get near another person is. And what I love about this passage is that Jesus knows this to be true. 
Jesus is well aware of how difficult it is to love others. I don't know if you know the story of Jesus, but loving others doesn't go totally well for him. And then it goes very well. So Jesus knows what it looks like to love others. He knows how tricky that can be, how much it can invite us into spaces of vulnerability. But Jesus also shows us throughout this passage today what is possible when we love one another the way that we have been loved. And I think that's the invitation of this part of the Sermon on the Mount, to love one another the way that we have been loved. It's tricky and it's vulnerable and it will press us into uncomfortable places. And yet, that kind of vital community is exactly what we need most to be transformed into the way of Jesus. What we're being invited into today is a kind of vital community that is fiercely committed to one another, a kind of vital community that loves out of abundance. And Jesus starts this section with, I think, the most, by addressing what I think is maybe the most profound obstacle to loving one another. Look at this moment in Matthew 6, verse 31. Jesus says this. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Everyone runs after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus is not naming here that need clothes to wear. What I think is happening in this moment is that Jesus is naming a kind of anxiety that arises in us when we run the race of this life. There's a kind of anxiety that emerges in us, as Jesus talked about this last week, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be careful where your treasure is, because some treasures are destroyed by moth and vermin and rust. And so if we put our heart in places that will consume us, he's like, that produces a kind of anxiety in you. A kind of anxiety that is hard to satiate. A kind of anxiety that is hard to get under control. And I think for our conversation today, a kind of anxiety that makes us inattentive to love. A kind of anxiety that makes us inattentive to Jesus' kingdom. Have you ever tried to give or receive love when you are in an anxious or afraid space? It's hard. I remember once um, I returned from sabbatical. I got to go on sabbatical for three months in 2018. And right after I got back from sabbatical, like the first month, there was like a handful of things that happened here at Missio that were just kind of like spinning events. They were just difficult to, to return to. And so my anxiety levels were pretty high. Like coming back from sabbatical, I had some difficult meetings. My anxiety levels high. I started to feel a bit defensive. My vision kind of narrowed. And I get a phone call from a very, very good friend of mine who goes to Missio, who's in our house church, and he's like, hey, can we meet? And I remember just feeling so much dread, like intense dread. Like, this is a friend of mine. This is somebody I love. It's somebody I do house church with. This should be a fun meeting. And all I could think of is like, oh, this is going to be the worst. He has more criticisms to offer me. He has things to say that are mean or cruel. And then we met, and all he wanted to tell me is that he missed me. And that he was glad I was home. 
and that house church was going to be better now that I was there, and it had been good while I was away. It was all good news. It was all pieces of information that were positive and encouraging, but when I was in a space of anxiety, I, I couldn't hear that love given to me. And even as we met together and sat in that conversation, it took so long for my body to like unravel and to get less defensive as we were meeting. I think that's the kind of anxiety that Jesus is addressing here. It's the kind that makes us inattentive to his kingdom, the kind that makes us inattentive to love, the kind that makes our body tense up, our vision narrow. It's the kind of fear and scarcity that means we start to see the worst, expect the worst, imagine the worst from each other. It's the kind of fear and scarcity and anxiety that makes it difficult, if not impossible, to receive and to give love. And here's what Jesus says to that. He's just actually saying it. He says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? And then he goes on to say in verse 28 through 32, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass and the lilies of the field, which are here today and then gone tomorrow, how much more will God clothe you? Jesus is naming two really profound truths. And he kind of asks them in questions. He says, do you know who you are? And do you know who your God is? Don't you know how loved you are, how valuable you are, how much worth you carry, a worth that cannot be shaken, a worth that cannot be shattered, a worth that cannot be compromised? Don't you know who you are? And don't you know who your God is, the God of abundance, the God who sustains the universe? And don't you know that God is for you, not against you, for you? In a moment of scarcity and fear, Jesus speaks a word of truth to root us and ground us in our love. to root us and ground us in the truth of God's love for us. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know who your God is? That's the first part of our sandwich, so to say. If we jump down to the bottom part of the sandwich, in verse 9 through 11, we get another similar kind of moment. Jesus is talking to his followers, and he says, Who among you would give your child a stone when they ask for bread? nobody. Or who would give them a snake when they ask for a fish? If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Just like above, Jesus points to the goodness of our Father in the midst of anxiety and scarcity, and he says, your God wants good things for you. He wants to meet you and provide for you and wants good things for you. If you combine these two moments together, what we get is that we are loved, 
we are valuable, we are worthy, that our God who sustains the universe, cares for us, is committed to our good. And it's important that you understand this, because what Jesus is about to do in this moment is going to depend upon how much you understand how God loves you. Because in verse 12, Jesus goes on to say, you know these things about God, right? You know how much God loves, you know how big God is. Okay, great. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This is the bottom part of ask, seek, and knock. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Why? This sums up the law and the prophets. This is an amazing moment. Jesus has just unearthed this beautiful teaching about how much God loves you, about how rooted in God's love you can be. And then he ends it by coming back to the beginning of his teaching and saying, guess what? If you want to be my follower, love like you have been loved. Love in this way. Jesus says the same thing a little later in his teachings in John 13, 34. He says, I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. This is the new commandment that I'm giving you. The thing that sums up perfectly the law and the prophets. Now it's just one law. Love each other as I have loved you. So you must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. See how you've been loved? See how it can root you and how it can ground you and how it looks for your best interests and how it cares for you in the midst of anxiety and scarcity and fear, how it doesn't shame or condemn or push you away but grounds you? Love that way. Now this leads us to the middle, all the goodies within the sandwich. Matthew 7, verse 1 through 2. He says, love this way. And then in the middle of the sandwich, he says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is kind of a confusing moment. It's kind of like what Jesus just said about loving others, about serving one another. But now he's using the language of judgment And this verse gets translated in lots of different ways. It gets used in lots of different ways. I've heard some people say that this is like an argument that Jesus says never to judge, which is confusing because if you go to John 7, Jesus says, do judge, just don't judge by appearances. And later in Matthew, Jesus will say, judge a tree by its fruit. So we have moments where Jesus says you should judge, and then you have this moment where he's like, well, hold up on your judgment. I think if we look at the whole context, especially considering verse 2, judge as you want to be judged. I don't think that Jesus is saying you never judge. I think Jesus is saying something even weirder in this moment, which is that sometimes you can judge in a way that is good. And that might sound super weird, because I don't think that I ever imagined judgment being a good thing. But I think that's oftentimes because our understanding of judgment brings with it some images that are maybe not exactly what Jesus has in mind here. When we think of judgment, we often think of like courtrooms, verdicts, condemnation. Judgment in our understanding is a heavy, heavy word. But in this moment, judgment is less heavy than courtrooms or verdicts or condemnation. The way that Jesus uses judgment and the Greek word for judgment is closer to the phrase we might use today as use your best judgment. 
Use your best judgment. Discern well. Think well. In that context, the word that Jesus is using here, krino, is about making decisions. It's about making choices. It's about making calls about people. And it can be about condemnation. You can make calls about people that are condemning, but condemnation is not inherent to the word. The word is about making decisions, choices, about using your best judgment. And so what Jesus is asking us here is to discern how we act towards others. And to do that in the way we want them to act towards us. We see this in the next part of the passage when Jesus says, if you see sin in a brother's eye, act towards them clearly. See clearly, remove the log from your own eye so that you can act rightly towards them. I think this is important for us to pay attention to because we can make judgments, we all know this, we can make judgments in our world that are really harmful. You've probably all had this experience being in religious or non-religious spaces to have judgments made about you that were painful and that were harmful. And I think often when I'm in my own kind of scarce headspace, it is so difficult for me to make judgments that aren't judgmental, condemning, shameful, that aren't about rebuking something in me or rebuking something in somebody else. When I'm in scarcity, often my judgments are punitive or shameful or retributive. But Jesus is telling us in this moment that when we are rooted and growing in love, when we see others like God sees us, we actually can make judgments like God does. Judgments that speak of love and of value and of worth. Judgments that are so fiercely committed to the other person's good. Judgments that see us and want our best. It might be hard to imagine this kind of dynamic happening in community, but it is one that we need so desperately. I need you, actually, to discern about me in love. I need you to think about me and act towards me in love. I need you to be discerning about me. I need you to see my woundedness, my weakness, and my strength and to discern about how you interact with me out of love. I need you to see my sin and discern in me and with me how to act towards me. I need you to be in community, but here's the important part. I need you to be for me. I feel like that's the part of Christian community that we often miss. So I don't need you just to see my sin. I need you to be for me. And this is the distinction that Jesus is drawing here is we need each other to make discernments about one another. We need each other to make decisions about one another. We need each other to act towards us in love, but we have to be for one another. We have to be doing the work to be committed to one another and unraveling our own scarcity anxiety that projects that onto others. This is not easy to do, and so in the next part of this moment, Jesus is going to show us what it takes Jesus goes on to this very famous moment. He says, you need to be able to make judgments about people in love. And then he goes on to say this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention? (laughs) 
You all did not deserve that. (laughs) And not pay attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye? When at the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think we're probably all familiar with this passage. Jesus is inviting us to examine, to be reflective about our own sin. But there's actually something very challenging in the wordplay that Jesus is doing here that I think we sometimes miss. Yes, we need to be reflective of our own issues, but Jesus is saying that specks of sawdust and logs, they're the same thing. They're made of the same substance. They're both wood. And when you see something in someone else, it is almost always a small piece of your larger issue. What you see in somebody else, the reason you need to be rooted and grounded in love is because it is often triggering your own issues. It's often triggering your own fear. It's often triggering your own sense of scarcity. You see it in somebody else, but it projects back to you the thing that you are most afraid of. And so Jesus is like, you have to do some work to root yourself and unravel that sense of fear so that you can love well. There's a friend of mine named Jeremy Duncan who's a pastor And he wrote a book about the Sermon on the Mount, and he sent me the book, the story. All this context is important for what I'm about to read you. Uh, He wrote a book, sent it to me. And as I was reading the book, on this section, I came to this quote that I have trouble not feeling a little bit like is directed at me. He says this, The first faults I recognize you are invariably things that frustrate me about myself. You know what really annoys me? What will set me off and send me into a spiral of negative thoughts? Loud, opinionated, long-haired men who think they get to speak for God. Jeremy, rude dog. That's me. For the most part, the things we instinctively notice in others are the things that we struggle to keep balanced in ourselves. We see the sin, the hurt, the weakness, and the wounds in another And it triggers our own sense of anxiety and scarcity and fear and woundedness. And so often the judgment that we level is a triggered response to seeing actually our own issue in someone else. So it makes this moment even more challenging. It's not simply that you have to do some work on your own sin. Jesus is like, it's probably the same thing. It's probably the same thing. Thing. And that's very challenging, but it is also a beautiful invitation for the relationship we have with someone else to be far more mutual. That if we're both wrestling through the same thing, then we're wrestling through it together. I think this explains what Jesus goes on to say. He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The word hypocrite here is literally a reference to a theater mask. In Greek theater, people would wear masks, so they weren't just acting a part, but they looked the part. You would know which character each person was by the mask they wore. So the word that Jesus uses here, you could say today, is take the mask off. Stop pretending that you don't have the same issue this person does. Stop avoiding the mirror and reflection and self-examination. Take the 
mask off and recognize that you two are in this together. And then what opportunities begin to emerge? Do the work of encountering God, not of condemnation or of shame, but get free of your own scarcity, your performance. Get rooted in love. Take that mask off so that you guys can move together. It reminds me of what Paul says in Galatians 6, verses 1 through 2. He's having a similar kind of conversation, but I just love his language. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, you who have encountered the presence of God, you who are growing and being transformed into love, should, what is the emphasis? Restore. It doesn't say correct. It doesn't say rebuke. It says restore that person. What? Gently. But watch yourself always, or you may be tempted to put that mask back on, to hide away again, not to see yourself reflected in this opportunity. So watch yourself, or you may be tempted. And then he goes on to say this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you do what? Fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love one another as you have been loved. Wow. Every week I've uh, told you a story of the desert tradition. I've been reading about the desert fathers and mothers who are a group of Christians who, once Christianity got legalized, they started to flee to the desert to find just a more vital faith. Um, Every week I've read you stories of them, and so, you know, I don't want to stop the trend. And this story is amazing. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to put it up on the screen here behind you, but it's about a a desert father named Abba Moses, and he gets invited to a council to respond to a a brother who's been caught in sin, and this is how the story goes. It says, a brother committed a fault, and a council was called to which Abba Moses was invited, but he refused to go to it. Then the priest sent someone to him saying, come, for everyone is waiting for you. So he got up and he went to the council But as he did, he took a leaking jug, filled it with water, and carried it with him. The others came out to meet him and said, "Um, Hey, what are you doing? The old man said to them, My sins run out behind me, but I don't see them today. And today I'm coming to judge the errors of another. When they heard this, they said no more and forgave the brother. I love this story. This is a person who has taken the plank out of their own eye. Who has done the work of deep self-examination, not to condemn or to shame themselves, but to get so deeply rooted in love that they are fiercely committed to the restoration of another, even so much to take the burden on themselves. There's another desert story of a similar kind of event where... uh, the group of, of men in a convent or in a monastery, they come to their leader, a man named Abba Bessarion, and they're going to turn out another brother who's been caught in sin. They're going to send him away from the community. And when Abba Bessarion hears it, he gets up and he begins to leave with the turned out sinner saying, I too am a sinner. I guess I have to go with him. This is the kind of love with which we have been loved, that God would give up all things to be near his people, that he would take on all burdens, step away from all glory in order to be with his 
people. God always chases. God always moves towards. God always looks for our good. This is the kind of love that we have been loved with. And in these moments, Jesus is like, and you too, maybe imperfectly, but you can love this way. You can take the mask off, have an encounter with love and offer to carry the burdens of another. It's a kind of love that sees clearly, that is rightly oriented towards God, towards self, and to other. That is so deeply committed to the other's restoration that it will go with it. That is so deeply committed to the other that it will do the internal reflective work that is necessary to love well. Jesus says, if you want to love like this, do the work. Get internal. Get reflective. But then he goes on to say, in verse 6, do some interpersonal work. Verse 6, he says this, Do not give to dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under the feet and, in turn, tear you to pieces. This is one of those moments where you're like, Jesus, what in the world we have a nice conversation about removing the speck, and now where are we? This is it's just an interesting moment, but Jesus is talking about the work we do with one another. And, and when I say that, it almost sounds like Jesus is calling people dogs or pigs. This is not an, an insult. Jesus is using a piece of common sense. Pigs do not want pearls. They want food. That's the whole point of the story. He's like, so here's the issue. Sometimes you try to give people what they don't need, and then you get mad because they trampled your pearls. Jesus is not criticizing pigs. Jesus isn't even criticizing pearls. Jesus is asking the one who casts pearls to maybe reflect on what they're offering to others. He's like, you think you're bringing something deeply valuable? He's like, honestly, it is really valuable, but don't you know this person needs to eat? Don't you know that this person needs to be comforted? Don't you understand that this person needs to be loved, but you're so convinced by the value of your own pearls that you can't stop talking enough to hear what somebody else needs? The pearls are fine. But have you done the interpersonal work to understand what someone needs? In the same way that Jesus invites us to be reflective about our own sin, about what's happening in our own life, Jesus is inviting us to be reflective about what's happening in someone else's, about the relationship that we might have with someone else. To ask, what does this person need? And am I offering them what they need, or am I offering them what I think is valuable? That's what we often do is we think that we are offering something of value and it will feel like a deep sense of urgency. Maybe we have good arguments, good scriptural arguments. Jesus is like, slow down a moment. You may love this and it may be really good and there may be a time for this. But is it what we need? The other way of saying this is in Romans 2.4, I really love the way that Paul says this. Paul says that it is the kindness or the goodness, depending on the translation you use, of God that leads people to repentance. 
think there's a reflective question for us to ask is, am I meeting this person with kindness and with goodness? Have we done the work to offer goodness? There's what we're offering to those around us more of something for ourselves, something that we think is valuable. So in these two moments of this passage, Jesus is like, there's some work that we have to do internally, some reflective work, some heart work that we do on our own selves to, to review who we are and how we're committed to another. And he says, and there's work that we do interpersonally to know what another person may need and to make sure that we are offering them kindness and goodness. Monsieur, what if we could become a community that did this work? If you were with us on team night on Monday, we walked through even more practical examples of how to do this. But what if we could become a community that was so committed to one another, so committed to the way of Jesus, so fiercely compassionate to one another that we worked hard to gently restore one another? What might happen? Well, Jesus actually ends this passage with this moment about knocking, seeking, and asking. And he says, anybody who knocks, anybody who seeks, Anybody who asks, God will meet them. And then he says, love like that. And I think that's an invitation for us to hear the knocking, to look for those who seek and to be the answer, to meet one another with the goodness and the grace and the abundance of our God. So basically, I think if we could be this kind of fiercely though imperfectly committed kind of community, we would start to be the answer to some of our own prayers. We would start to love one another towards restoration. We'd start to move step by step higher into that kind of community of love we have been talking about. We say this is the invitation of Jesus' words today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace and your goodness and your mercy this morning. As we've sung, as we've prayed, as we hear this story, would it just root us so deeply in the abundance and goodness of you that we would find our fears and our shame and our anxiety begin to unravel? And Lord, as we get rooted in you, would it then enable us to offer to those around us the kind of love that you have so generously provided to us? And would we be able to offer that love to ourselves as we're doing the reflective examination of our own sin, our own hearts, and our own lives. God, would you meet us here, root us in you, and send us in your love. We pray these things in your name. Amen.